This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, I've got Ryan Kelly here with me, and we're just going to go over a quick market update today and talk about what we're seeing in the market, what we're seeing be successful, and what we're seeing not be successful. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hey, doing great, Jordan. How are you? Doing great. Working hard, as I know you are, too. Yeah, I work half days, seven days a week, so <laughs> 12 hours a day, you know, yep. normal market. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you guys real quick, we're going to go over some market statistics for the Austin Round Rock MSA. So that's just the Austin area. Um, when you're talking city of Austin, these numbers change a little bit. But when people are talking about Austin, they're typically talking about the Austin Metro. So we're going to talk about the Austin Metro here today. The median sales price here is up to 395000 that's up over 20% from last year at this time. Closed sales are actually down a little bit. Um, a lot of that probably has to do with our winter storm we had there about last month. Um, well, more than a month ago now. Average days on markets down to 31 days on the market. And our months of inventory. Now, this is the stat that everybody pays attention to. How much inventory is there? We have 0.4 months of inventory. This is down over a month from last year. So more than 100% decrease in available listings at any certain point in time. Um, and Ryan and I will talk a little bit about what that means for buyers and what that means for sellers here today. And I think we both have some interesting viewpoints being active real estate agents in this market. But, you know, Ryan, real quick, what are you seeing in the market right now? I love watching inventory. To me, that's a huge number. You just talked about that. To put that into context, I ran this number yesterday. So every about every Tuesday, Wednesday, I go into the MLS and I say, I want to see how many single family homes at any price point are available for sale in Travis, which is basically Austin, mm -hmm. Williamson County, which is all our northern suburbs, and Hayes County to the south. Combined, show me all the homes in all three counties combined. Yesterday, we had 989 homes wow. in three counties. And for those listening, we have about 2.4 million people that live in those three counties, and we didn't even have 1,000 homes for sale. Mm -hmm. So that tells you how tight the market is. I mean, Jordan, I, I try to guess how many buyers do you think there are? I mean, there's got to be 40,000 buyers, maybe 50,000 buyers for yeah. less than 1,000 homes. So that kind of explains the, the imbalance of supply and demand. So I keep watching that number to see, are we going to get back to 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000? And we've been under 1,000 for the past three months. And that's an important, you know, you, you talked about supply and demand there. Really, that's what months of inventory talks about, is what is supply and demand for this particular market. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's overheated. Oh, it's this and that. Not really. You know, what, what we see by looking at months of inventory is the demand is so great and the supply is so low that 
you know, these prices people are paying for things is, is really what the perceived value of these homes is. So, and you, you and I had talked about in the past, you know, it takes a little bit for a, a sale to close. It takes roughly 30 days for a sale to close. So every few months you see these prices change rather drastically for new listings because the comps they're using to price that home that they're going to sell, let's say in end of April, are going to be the comps from homes that went under contract mid-March. So there's a little bit of a lag there for those prices to jump up. And as things adjust, you know, it seems like prices are shooting up, but it's just the comps hitting the market and people are saying, oh, actually, this three-bed, two-bath in Pflugerville would have been worth $295 two months ago. Now we could price it at $315 for the, the list price, which we'll talk about that here in a second. And it just changes so quickly yeah. from the outside looking in. I kind of have an observation there too. I mean, I've been in the market, I've lived in Austin since the 90s. I've been in real estate for about six years and Austin has been a hot market. Austin's yeah. been hot, you know, I could argue for 20 years once mm -hmm. kind of dot-com took off and internet age. I mean, Austin was kind of Silicon Valley, you know, we or I should say hardware in the 90s, but really when software took off, Austin was already hot and people are going, well, what's happening now that makes it so different? And I, I really think the only difference is the fact that when COVID hit and it kind of unchained people from having to live in a specific market mm -hmm. and you can go live anywhere you want, Austin just simply went from being an alternative to Seattle and San Francisco and Boston and San Jose to being another Seattle, San Francisco, Boston and San Jose. We're not really any different. We have the same companies, the same jobs. Um, you know, you're going to have differences in tax, climate, weather, you know, things like that. And that's, I think, a lot of what's attracting people here. Uh, but at the same time, what's what's happening with the price, getting back to real estate, is simply Austin is now reflecting its position in the country and the type of economy that it has. You could almost argue, and as crazy as it sounds, Austin was probably undervalued. Uh, maybe for the past decade, as hot as it was, and as much as prices were going up before, I think they're, it, Austin's finally reflecting maybe where it actually is. I think in the in the economies of scale, and we're still going to be cheaper than folks moving from more difficult, expensive cities like a San Francisco, a Seattle, San Diego, maybe Northern Virginia, where they don't have they have a different tax climate, and it was already kind of starting at a higher price point. So. Austin's still playing catch up in some sense to some of those markets. Oh yeah, I think you make a great point there. You know, up until really now, you could buy a house in the mid 200s in let's say Round Rock or Pflugerville. And that's cheap for uh, the houses you're buying. You know, yeah. I know if you're in Austin and you're comparing that price to three years ago, you say, oh, that's crazy. Those have gone up so much. But if you were to compare that same house with, let's say, a house in Northern Virginia, and I'd say that house is cheap. Um, and I, right. I really like your point there that, you know, the value is reflecting, you know, what Austin has really grown into finally. And yeah, I, I don't think that's really going to slow down either, you know, because it seems like every week or so we have another announcement of another tech company moving here. And 
know, here in April of 2021, that's slowed down a little more than I would say last fall of 2020. But uh, another thing that people fail to remember is that a lot of these supporting companies have yet to move here. So the Tesla factory over on 130 is almost done. Um, they're going up really quickly. I live pretty close to there and I've driven by a lot. Um, it astounds me how quickly they've gotten that up. But yeah. then all the people that move to support these companies are going to move in. And I've seen articles that I know you have too in the Austin Business Journal about just the restaurants that are going to move in there to take care of the employees there. And then Elon Musk's tweeting about, oh, we need all these services and all this housing and all this other stuff that's going to attract other people to come here to do business too. And yeah, I'd say we're we're starting to reflect the actual value of of living in Austin. It's, hey, you know, you're probably not gonna be able to buy a house for 250 for a while. Maybe that's 350 now, maybe it's 400. And well, and imagine this, too. we just had this happen with national unemployment reaching almost 10% with restaurants and hotels almost shuttering with festivals and events not happening. Imagine how this is going to impact the market when those things come back. And all of a sudden you do have the festivals and you do have restaurants booming again, and you do have Uber driving everywhere. And, you know, all the big city things that, you know, are going to come back to life over the next you know, one to two years travel. We haven't had tourism in Austin for over a year. What happens when tourists start coming back? So it's kind of incredible. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not, I'm not shocked. I am shocked. It is pretty impressive to see what's been happening in the market. And I keep thinking, wow, this is happening when you still have people in financial stress and you still have people, uh, you know, challenged for jobs. Well, what's going to happen when the money starts flowing again? back into those industries, um, the, the, the cranes in downtown Austin have not stopped moving around. They are still building, there's 42 different tower projects planned for the central core of Austin right now, 42. I don't even think we have 42 towers currently downtown. So, you know, they're literally doubling basically what downtown's gonna look like over the next five years. It's pretty incredible. And I look at that, I look at commercial. You know, I don't worry about what an individual residential house may or may not be worth. I go, who is putting 30-year, 50-year money to work in Austin? And it's the people building large multifamily, office space, corporate campuses, Teslas, Apples, Amazons, Oracles. If they're making big bets on Austin, I shouldn't feel so bad on this little single-family house or duplex that I'm trying to buy. They're making much bigger bets than I am. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think a question you and I both get asked a lot because things are moving up so quickly. So we talked about the median sales price in the Austin area has gone up 22% since last year. Um, and I think everybody's thinking, or, you know, I know I am, I know people that talk to me are, hey, this feels a lot like 2006, 2007. Um, things are going up so quickly. Do you think we're in another bubble? Yeah, boy, I get asked that every day. Um, I would say we're in, I don't want to say a bubble, because a bubble sounds like something that's going to pop and go backwards. I would say we're in a phase. I think we're in a phase that's taking us from, like I just mentioned, maybe an alternative to a big city 
to now we're jumping into a big city. And yeah. so I think Austin now, uh, and just to put that into perspective, when I moved here in the 90s, Austin was always the little brother to San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston. Those were the big three. And Austin was this little you know, capital city with a cool college and kind of a hippie culture. And it was never really this big city. And then it kind of really started taking off over the past 20 years. Those big cities are jealous of Austin now because Austin's the one attracting the big tech companies and, you know, getting the headlines and stuff like that. So it's still smaller population wise uh, to those cities. But from a business culture point of view, it's hard to find another city that's got more going for it than Austin. So the phase that I see is that Austin is hemorrhaging up in price to catch up to its position in the economy. Mm -hmm. I would say when it comes to, do we think housing is going to pop or do we think prices are going to go down? It's a simple math equation, supply and demand. And right now we have very limited supply for almost an overheated amount of demand. So could demand slow down? Sure, maybe, but it hasn't in 20 years. And so um, it, it would take a lot to slow the demand down. I don't know about you, but I still field many new client calls every week, mostly from people out of state uh, looking to move to Austin. So until the demand slows down, the only other thing that can change is supply. Well, okay, home builders are on wait lists. They are way behind. Um, they are not keeping up with the pace of the market. Uh, and because they can't supply the market with that many new properties, prices can only go in one direction. Uh, they can go up unless, again, demand falls off a cliff. So I don't see that. I haven't felt that. And so it could slow down from 20 and 30% appreciation, which we've probably seen in the past, you know, six to 12 months. I don't think that's going to last much longer. But I can see a situation where we go back to 8 to 10, which is what we've been averaging the last three years. That would still be an incredibly healthy market. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, some things that, and again, I have no crystal ball. I'm not an economist. Uh, just what I pay attention to, some things that I think can slow us down a little bit are interest rates going up. They've gone yeah. up. Um, I'm refinancing this house I'm in right now. I got quoted a 3.25 a few months ago. Didn't pull the trigger fast enough. And now I'm going to have to get a 3.85, which is still a great interest rate, but that's up a lot. Yeah, it is. So yeah, that shows you still a historically great interest rate. Great rate. But when rates go up, your payments go up. And as your payments go up, you can afford less. So important to keep in mind. Um, things that I think could slow down the demand a little bit. And like Ryan alluded to earlier, the demand is so extreme. You know, let's say Ryan was saying there's 50,000 people looking for 1,000 houses. That's bonkers. Even if demand slows down a little bit, which I think it might because of the work from home, the uh, the stay at home orders, I'm sorry, getting lifted in other states. So I have worked with a lot of people that have moved here that moved from their local area um, in a large part to stay at home orders being too restricted. So if you're in San Francisco, you can't even go outside you're thinking, why am I living here paying $6,000 a month for this two-bedroom apartment? This is crazy. Uh, you're looking for other places to live. And for all the other reasons you're coming to Austin, you're saying, well, 
I don't love it here anymore. It's super expensive. And that's, that's made a lot of people think, but maybe that will slow down a little bit as those places lift their stay-at-home orders. I don't okay. think it's going to kill the, the influx of people coming from those states and cities, but I think it might slow down a little bit. Um, Ryan talked a lot about supply. They're building as fast as they possibly can, just like you said, Ryan. Um, I don't see any way they're going to be able to build faster. If they could, they would. Um, everybody loves making money, and builders are not exempt from that. But, you know, this may slow down a little bit. But, you know, like Ryan mentioned, too, even if it slows down a lot, we might be at 10% appreciation a year. That's still crazy. That's a great market. Yeah. So th there's yeah, well, not a lot of. 2018 uh, was a great year. Mm -hmm. uh, and we probably had almost triple the number of homes that we have for sale right now. Mm -hmm. And you could still sell your house and get full list price or even multiple offers and sell it a little bit over that price. And that was with triple the number of homes. So if all of a sudden we get a rush of listings, um, great, <laughs> because we need them uh, and there's yeah. plenty of buyers to buy them. So if anything, all it would do is reduce the number of offers or reduce the gap between the list price and the contract price, which is what you and I have been seeing for the past three months, you know, greatly increase. I think it's starting to compress again, uh, but but you know, that's really the only thing that's going to change. It's not going to make a lot of homes sit on the market for six months unless they're you know not reasonable with their list price. But as long as they're reasonable with the list price uh, and their intent to sell, they'll be able to sell it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, that's back to supply and demand. So. They say we're in a buyer's market when we have more than six months of supply. So if you're looking at today's supply, we have to have a 1,500% increase in available mm -hmm. listings. 1,500%, not just a little bit, Yeah, 15X increase in available listings. So if Ryan's saying there's 1,000 homes for sale on the market, there would have to be 15,000 homes for sale on the market for this to be a buyer's market, for you to have more leverage than the seller as a buyer is essentially what we're referring to there. And no matter what happens, I don't see there being a 1500% increase in Austin. Let's say we go into some sort of economic event in the country, you know, Austin may even be insulated from that because of our historically low inventory we have right now compared to other markets that I watched that all had over a month of inventory, which is crazy low, yep. we have the lowest. So I think yep. that, you know, we're in a great place. You know, supply and demand is a simple thing you're looking at there with months of inventory. And we have 0.4 months that continues to go down and down. I'd see it every month. It was 0.5 months last month. Yeah. Now we're 0.4. Who knows where we'll be next month. Um, so, you know, you talked about a gap between the list price and the contract price. What type of gap are you seeing right now, Ryan? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And you have to, this is something you really got to watch with your buyers uh, because it is changing weekly. Um, <laughs> just to give you an idea, last fall, all the way through early December, it was likely that a home could get multiple offers if it was priced right. And it might sell at list price up to maybe five to 10% over the list price. That would be a really good sale in 2020. When we got to, let's say, New Year's, 
it literally, we got zip codes, including Pflugerville and Cedar Park, which are two suburbs on the north side that have, you know, 60 to 80,000 people per suburb. They got down to single digits of homes for sale. I remember when Cedar Park went to zero. So a town of 80,000 people had zero homes for sale. So when we got to January and we hit rock bottom, there were some homes that were getting 50 to 100 offers on that one property. And that's when it really just felt like the wheels came off. And, uh, and so I have seen, I've seen the average sales in the suburbs be anywhere from 10 to maybe 25% above the list price. However, I have seen some individual sales go as high as 40 and 50% above the list price, some of those with cash buyers. Uh, and so it's been pretty incredible. I've had clients lose to deals where the we had a really good offer that was probably 26% above the list price. And we got beat by a guy who was 42% all cash. Uh, and so that to me was, it peaked kind of in January and February. I think what's happening now is now we're shifting up in list price. So now the list prices have some of these crazy comps coming in. Mm -hmm. So the list prices are starting to go way up. When that happens, the number of offers is starting to come down. So I'm not seeing 50 and 100 offers anymore. I'm seeing anywhere from single digits, maybe 20 or 30. Uh, but I'm seeing most of the deals that I've been bidding on lately get down, uh, maybe really good offers. They're still really good offers, but they're not as many of them. So it gives your buyers more opportunities to get in there. I do have some clients though, however, where we have, we've gotten them under the list price, uh, or I, I should say gotten them under contract right around the list price, which in this market feels like a huge win. Uh, but you and I were talking about this before the podcast started. One thing I want to make note of is the list price is not what a property is worth. Yeah. The list price is advertising. That's it. It's just some number that the buyer and seller put out there, or sorry, the seller and the listing agent uh, put out there to start a conversation. And if they did it right, ideally, that's the start of a conversation that's going to go up in price because they're generating a lot of activity and it should go up in price. If the seller starts that conversation too high, then maybe it actually can come down. But really in the hot markets, if they list it based on comps, which is past sales, mm -hmm. well, most likely it is going to sell above that price. I sent some comps to a buyer this week. He's looking in Northern Leander, uh, which is a Northwest subdivision. And uh, for that zip code, there have been 114 closings in the last month, the last 30 days. On average, those homes are selling 16% above the list price. That's 114 homes that on average closed 16% above the list price. So that's not a small data pool. That's a pretty big data pool. And that tells you kind of the demand that's hitting these different segments of the market. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned a few things I want to touch on there. Um, you still have to list it right. So we just closed one yesterday, slightly below list price. Um, cash, cash is king, but not always. So right now, if you have an appraisal waiver, really the seller just wants to know that they're going to get that price. 
So if you come in with all cash, you don't have any contingencies, they know they're gonna get that price. If you come in with financing, but you waive the appraisal, they're fairly certain they're gonna get that price too. So I've had a lot of cash offers beat out by financed offers that have an appraisal waiver. Um, yeah. Again, the highest price is, is what a lot of sellers are looking for. And you know they're ready to make as much money as they can. Um, with with um with those appraisal waivers though that's not that people aren't doing appraisal so that's important to understand people hear appraisal waiver and they say my lender won't let me not do an appraisal no it's not that it's just you're saying hey you've listed this house at 295 i've offered 350 i'm going to make sure you get that 350 so if it comes in low i'm going to pay the difference in cash you agree to that in writing before you go through the contract. And if it comes in low and you decide you can't come up with the cash or you're not gonna put the cash down, they take your earnest money. So a lot of cases, people are putting high earnest money down and doing appraisal waivers and just making the seller really comfortable that, hey, if, if uh, Ryan backs out here, I'm gonna get 15 grand and I'm gonna be able to resell this house to this amazing market that has a ton of demand probably going to get the same price and I'm going to walk away with 15 grand. I'd add on top of that, if the listing agent is a good listing agent and your client is using financing uh, and they're waiving that appraisal, a lot of listing agents are now asking buyers, even if they're getting a loan, mm -hmm. to provide proof of funds. In yes. other words, let's say that buyer has to set in their contract, hey, I'm going to put 20% down and I'll waive the appraisal and I'll pay you this earnest money. Well, the seller is saying, okay, great. Show me that you have the 20% down and the closing costs. And I'm just going to predict it might under appraise 20 or 30 grand. Show me that you have that too. So mm -hmm. that they don't get into a situation under contract where that buyer may not have that money. So I'm even seeing proof of funds be required, even from buyers that are using a loan. Normally buyers only have to provide what's called a pre-approval letter from a lender and the lenders basically saying they're good for it. But I'm actually seeing some agents ask the buyers, that's not good enough. I wanna see, I wanna see mm -hmm. that you have that cash in the bank before I put you under contract. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, Ryan, we talked a little bit before this too. Uh, of course, you and I are both doing deals right now. We're getting properties for buyers. Uh, how, I'll talk about how I'm being successful right now. Maybe you can add some stuff in there for people who are listening. Uh, we are always talking to the listing agent before we write an offer. We say, hey, hey, Ryan, uh, we love this house. We're going to put an offer in. Is there anything specific the seller wants or is there anything we can do for the seller? So that's always a call you have to make. After that, maybe you figure out they need a lease back. Maybe you figure out that they need to leave things in the home. You don't know unless you ask, but once you figure that out, I am always telling people to write a cover letter, which I know some people don't love cover letters. I love cover letters. They've worked really well for my clients. Um, a really, cover letter is almost a love letter about the property and then about you too. So add some emotion to these offers. Put down as strong of terms as you can. Close as fast as you can. Maybe have your lender reach out. Put as much option fee up as you can, as short of an option period as you can, 
if you're working your inspector right, if you're talking to your inspector and communicating, you should be able to get an option done in two to three days, you know? Mm -hmm. So make this quick, make it really easy on the seller. So they know if I have to relist this property, I'm only have to wait four days and then I can throw it back on the market. I'm getting this option fee out of this person. I'm good to go. Put as strong of an earnest money down as you can. I'm doing a lot of that with buyers. We're putting large earnest monies down because the seller knows, hey, if if um, they back out after that appraisal waiver is done, cut 15 grand. You know, that's awesome. So offering to pay some of their fees, offering to pay the seller's title fees, offering to pay for the surveys, really just throwing the book at it. Um, when we have 0.4 months of inventory, it's important to remember as a buyer, you have no leverage. You know, when you're looking at houses, sellers have everything. You know, there's they have what you want. They have what 50,000 other people want. You need to make it as easy as possible on the seller and making sure you know what they want and just doing that when you're putting together your offer it's really important. You know, don't waste your time putting together an offer if you're going to try to get an edge over on the seller. It, it's almost not worth your time. I would say, too, I'll say a couple things. Um, yeah, we're just in a market right now where the goal is to win, not to get into some back and forth negotiation with the seller because you don't get to have a back and forth negotiation with the seller most of the time. Every once in a while you do, but most of the time the seller is going to go, great. Thanks for sending your offer. Um, best and final Sunday night, eight o'clock, make sure it's your best offer because we're not going to come around and renegotiate with you. We're going to stack mm -hmm. up the offers and we're going to sign the one we think is the best one. So I think it, I think it behooves us, you and I, to be extremely candid with clients on the front end. And I usually try to be pretty candid. Uh, sometimes I scare them a little bit, but um, you know, I, I want to let them know, hey, you're about to walk into one of the hottest markets in the country. Here are, here's what's happening. Here's what offers are going to look like. Are you comfortable buying a house in this environment? Because this is what you're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're not going to go look at a house until I know you've gotten pre-approval with that lender and you've shown me uh, that you're ready to go with some funds because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to have a bad experience um, because it's going to be hard enough even if you are approved uh, and have the financing in place. So number one, it's, it's really important that the buyers kind of know where they stand. There are clients, however, that I've had that honestly can't compete. They don't have the cash. You know, they can probably put 10% down, but they don't have all this extra cash to waive the appraisal, um, things like that. We've still been able to get a few of those under contract. You just have to get creative. You have to say, yeah. look, we cannot go bid against everybody else. So we're going to have to go look at the homes that have been on the market. And there aren't many, but, you know, let's go look at those few homes that didn't sell the first few weekends. Uh, most of them are going to sell the first weekend, by the way, but if they make it maybe the second, third or fourth weekend, there's some reason it didn't sell yet, even if it's not a big reason, maybe we can go in there and not have to compete against five or 10 buyers. Maybe we can take one down. I had another client who honestly, she couldn't even do that. And so I, I just said, hey, we need to write letters. And, uh, you, you know, and she did. And miraculously, someone reached out to her and said, hey, I want to sell. Uh, and so, and, and her house was, you know, she was going through 
you know, a probate on a will and, and dealing with some family issues. And so she didn't want to have to do the hard market process. And so we were able to put her under, under contract. There wasn't even a list price. We didn't even, I mean, we just had to start a conversation and kind of go back and forth and figure out what the price would be. So there, there's still some opportunities there. Um, I would also say, I get this question a lot. Well, I, I don't want to buy on the market then. I'll just buy off market as if off market's this special place where there's no bidding going on. And I'm like, well, off market's not really any different. Yeah. Uh, wholesalers are probably getting multiple offers. Uh, a listing agent that didn't put it on the MLS and is just shopping it off market is still getting multiple offers. So multiple offers are just part of the game right now. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to know how to play that game to get the right property. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, no, we're not trying to scare anybody here and say, hey, it's impossible to get a property. You can't get a property. Everybody I've worked with, and I know everybody Ryan's worked with that's put in the effort has gotten something under contract. And yeah, it might take some time. It might take some effort. It might take being a little creative and, and looking a little bit further out than you first thought you wanted to be. But absolutely, everybody can get a property. If you're looking for a property in Austin, they're out there, you know, you just have to do some stuff. And he mentioned, Ryan mentioned wholesalers. A lot of the times the wholesalers I'm seeing right now, they they won't work with financing at all. So there is no appraisal waiver, there's none of that. And they want $5,000 non-refundable earnest money right up front. And so you're getting under contract maybe at, at list price or slightly above list price, put $5,000 down before you even get a chance to inspect the property. And then, yeah, you can back out, but you're in six grand when you back out. And that's mm -hmm. no fun. You know, that, that can slow down your search quite a bit unless you have unlimited funds, which I don't know anybody that has unlimited funds. So essentially, if you're buying a property off market right now, you better be dang sure you're going to buy that property before you can go approach it. So that's a good you know, point, by the way. I want to mention that too, is like, you might think you actually get a better shot at due diligence when it's off the market because maybe there weren't as many buyers. I would argue the opposite. I would actually say if you are buying from a wholesaler, many times you have zero due diligence. You get it's a seven day all cash close, put the money down, you're buying it as is. You know, you can have an inspection if you want, but basically you're buying it. Um, yep. And so at least on the MLS, you still have an option to have an option period. You have an option maybe to get an inspector in there, or maybe you have another out potentially that you can use to get out of a contract if needed. You don't have many, uh, but a traditional Texas contract is gonna give the buyer somewhere in the 30 to 35 different ways to get out. Right now it's gonna get whittled down to maybe one, two or three, but at least you have them. Uh, and so if you can have a few ways to get out of a deal, uh, it still gives you that option. So. And I've seen wholesalers still selling multiple offers over their projected price. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's just a competitive market. Um, but I agree with you. If the buy, That's why I think it's important that we have those tough conversations up front, because the ones who want to wait aren't really wanting to buy right now. And it's not worth going through that effort. But the ones who want to buy, the ones who need or want property right now, Jordan and I are getting them under contract. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take a little more work. And maybe... You know, some of them get a quick deal. Some of them have to write five, 10 offers uh, before they finally get under contract. Absolutely. So real quick, we're going to switch gears here and talk about how you can be successful. So we talked all about 
how crazy everything is. It's important to understand where we're at with the market. It's important to understand where we are with inventory, supply and demand. You know, Elon Musk is tweeting stuff like Austin plus plus. That sure doesn't help slow down the demand. Um, but all these celebrities and all these big names are talking about Austin. It's on everybody's radar. But again, you still can buy in Austin. So there's different property types in Austin. Like there isn't any city. There's townhomes, there's condos, single family. Um, there's multifamily properties, duplex to fourplex. Certain property types are more desirable than others. So if everybody wants something, maybe don't go look there. You know, if everybody wants a nice house in Round Rock, that's probably not where you want to look. So we've had luck getting properties under contract that are a little further out and aren't as desirable. So maybe they're condos, maybe they're single families 45 minutes out from Austin, which really isn't that far. Um, maybe they're multifamily properties that are just listed terribly. You know, there's other ways you can get properties, but if you're looking for that nice, well-finished, really nicely rehabbed property in Pflugerville or Round Rock and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit out of Austin. I'm going to avoid the, the craziness. Not at all. Round Rock is not, not out of Austin. It's just down the street. So, yeah. Maybe speak to that a little bit, Ryan. Where have you been looking where not everybody else is? I know for me, it's been, I've been looking at a lot of condos with clients. I've been looking at single families as far south as San Marcos. Mm -hmm. um, I've been looking out, well, Bastrop is, is hot now because of Tesla. Um, Bastrop's hot. Elgin is not so hot. You could find nice houses out in Elgin. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great point. I mean, and again, it probably goes back to price point. You know, what used, what, you know, you used to be able to buy, as you mentioned, maybe a single family house, 250, 300,000. Um, that price range, honestly, is about to disappear. Mm -hmm. I think the low end of the market for Austin is going to be the three to $400,000 range. And that's going to be your suburbs of Maynard, Pflugerville, Round Rock. You know, Buda is even getting probably up up above that. Uh, yeah. Kyle to the south. Um, anywhere west is going to get more expensive. So, you know, it kind of starts with what people need and want. The hardest thing to buy right now, and Jordan, you can probably agree to this, is I want a three-bedroom, two-bath, single-family home that's in good shape that can cash flow. Hey, that sounds amazing. Don't we all want that? <laughs> yeah. you know, of course you want that. That's what we all want. I would say if that's what you want, we need to go to Bell County. We need to go two counties to the north. We need to get out of Austin because that's incredibly hard, if not almost impossible at this point, to just buy a house off the rack, ready to go, that you can turn, turn on with a property manager and start making cash flow. So I've had some clients that I've taken to Bell County. We've got some properties up there. Uh, for those not familiar, uh, that's going to be cities like Temple and Belton, Harker mm -hmm. Heights. I'm not in love with Colleen, but there are some clients that like that area too. Uh, but those are going to be the, those areas. Uh, New Braunfels is another location, which again, New Braunfels is not a very big location. And for, again, that's south of uh, Austin, north of San Antonio. It's really more of a San Antonio kind of yeah. exurb. It's just outside of maybe a commutable range uh, for San Antonio. It's, it's actually, if you're not familiar, it's kind of a tourism city for Texas. 
So it's got a beautiful river called the Guadalupe River. It's got the Kamal River. It's got a big water park, golf courses. It's a lot of retirees like there, but it also has some cheap housing. Uh, and so there are people looking in places like New Braunfels, which will gain as I-35 grows together between Austin and San Antonio, uh, San Marcos, Kyle. Those are some locations I've got some clients looking as well. But I've also got investors that understand, look, I want to be where the action is. That's in town. I want to be in the city limits. Where can I go for this price range? Um, and they're, if they're willing to do, I think, especially some remodeling or repair, that gives you a better opportunity at maybe getting a property. And that's always been the case for investors, um, is find the properties that need a little more love, um, because it will still be hot. It could still get multiple offers, but at the same time, it's not going to be attractive to at least half the buyer pool who oh, yeah. wants that move-in ready house. So those are those are the, the where a lot of my clients are going. And of course, the northern suburbs just right now feels like it's ground zero for activity. Pflugerville, Round Rock, Cedar Park, Leander, you know, anything in those markets right now is scorching hot. And as Jordan said, you're not outside of Austin. That's Austin. That's where people live. And half the half the employers are in the northern half of the metro. So they're don't, they don't have to commute downtown. They only have to commute to the city limits uh, to get into Apple or Facebook or Indeed.com or Samsung or any of those, IBM. So they don't need to live in the heart of the city. They can live in Cedar Park, which, Absolutely. by the way, is smoking hot, and uh, you know, commute 15 minutes to get to a nice big employer. Absolutely. So, you know, you guys, basically what we're saying here today is absolutely you can still buy houses in Austin if you're an investor. This is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. If you're not an investor, absolutely you can still buy a house too. Just look, look at what your goal is. Look at what you're looking to accomplish. So Ryan touched on, are you looking for cash flow? That's probably a little bit further than if you're looking just to get in for appreciation or to buy a house to live. Even if you're looking to buy a house to live, you know, maybe don't look right where everybody else is looking or be patient, be ready to come in hot. You're going to get a house. They're appreciating really quickly. So it might catch up to what you bought it for in a very short time frame. Um, just make sure you're ready and you understand your time frame. If you're an investor and you're looking to hold a property and make money off of it, understand your time frame, understand your goals. And you're going to be in a much better spot. Always understand what are your goals. You know, if you work in South Austin, probably don't buy in Georgetown. You know, that's going to be a long drive if you're a house hacker or a homeowner. You know, that might be an hour drive every day. Not everybody wants to do that. Maybe you have to be a little bit further out, but make sure that it, it works for you and your lifestyle. There's gyms everywhere. There's coffee shops everywhere. There's restaurants everywhere. Everything you want is going to be in Central Texas in a certain area. It doesn't have to be in downtown Austin. So if you're moving here from another state, I know it's easy to look at the map and say, I want to be in Austin. I want to be right there in downtown Austin. I don't, I live 15 minutes from downtown Austin. I don't go there more than once every other week, maybe. You don't need to be that close to downtown Austin. So figure out what you need to be close to. You need to be close to what you do every day and what you do every week. And that can help you make your decisions if you're buying a home. If you're an investor and you want to cash flow, I would argue that's easier to do outside of Austin, still in the Austin area. So you're going to get a lot of those benefits 
but maybe not in Austin or Round Rock. Yeah, and I would say the last thing I'd make a point of is rents last year were really flat. Even though the for sale market was on fire, mm -hmm. rents were pretty flat last year, and that had to do with COVID. Uh, and the people that were impacted by COVID were mostly the rental class who works mm -hmm. in hospitality and, and all these different fields. And so, and apartments and condos got hurt. And so this year I'm seeing rents greatly increase, but of course they're going to have to play catch up. And so th again, that's always been our challenge on the investment side is yes, rents are going way up. If you already own the property, that's really positive news for us that own some of these investments. But if you're still on the front end and you haven't yet bought, just know that it's going to take a while for rents to catch up if they ever do uh, to the speed of the market. So cash flow is going to be tough at the beginning, even if we find, quote, a good investment. Um, it's going to be a little tricky to cash flow because appreciation is so strong um, that that's always going to be the challenge. So, you know, if you can rent by the room, if you can house hack and just buy a house for yourself get a couple roommates in there at the beginning. If you can be outside of the city limits of Austin, you can probably test Airbnb uh, in some properties that you don't have to live in. Um, you know, I would say if, you're, if you want cash flow, start looking at the markets that people are gonna have to flee to, to get out of Austin. So that's again, Bell County or maybe some of the smaller towns to the east uh, or to the south. So you know, path of progress, real estate investing is a long game. So if you're here for that five, 10, 15 year period, you're definitely going to get higher rents over time. You're going to get appreciation over time. And then it's just determining where that best path of progress is for you, uh, where you want that house to be. Places I would have thought I never would have put money 10 years ago are now ground zero for where people want to move. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Austin looks like in another 10 years. Absolutely. Yep. Everything's changing. It's going to continue to grow. You know, people continue to move here. Companies continue to move here. Just make sure you know what you're looking to do and you can accomplish your goal. Um, but again, guys, don't try to pound a square peg into a round hole. You know, you're probably not going to find a nicely rehab turnkey single family right off North Lamar in Austin. It's not going to make sense. But you absolutely can make sense of any goal here. Just know what your goal is that makes your life a lot easier and then find where your goal works. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on here, Ryan. Um, any last closing remarks here for everybody? Well, I'm not going anywhere. You probably aren't either. So uh, I think Austin's gonna be a great market. Uh, I, I, think, I think we are just seeing Austin climb into that top tier of mm -hmm. economic cities in the U.S. And I, I predict that trend's going to last for decades and decades to come. I agree. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Anybody reach out to Ryan and I. Uh, we'd love to help with any questions you have. But figure out your goals and attack your goals. Thanks, guys. <laughs>